you know, what will I say about this? What will come to me? What will, what will the Lord show me? And this has been a week. I, this has just been a deep dive, Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't even know how to communicate what all is in my heart today, but I'm going to try. Um, when Paul wrote the book of Colossians, like some of his other writings, he was urgently trying to tell these little churches, telling you and me, telling believers that Jesus plus nothing is everything. He tried to say it over and over to him. And so uh, this is a little tricky today because I'm actually working out of two different uh, computers today. You know, I, I was trying to remember where the verse was, but in Romans 5, somewhere around verse 20, it says, where sin abounds, grace does more. It puts my hair to stand up on my arms because, you know, sin abounds in the world today. And guys, grace is more than that. If you ever read C.S. Lewis, did anybody ever read C.S. Lewis? And when I say Aslan is on the move, do you know what I mean? Jesus is moving in the world and moving through his church, moving through us. We had a little mini meeting, uh, I guess it was a couple of days ago, Karen and Sue and myself and the Robertsons, we were talking and, and, uh, Karen just said, you know, I'm reminded with all of these things that are happening to us in our church that, that Satan attacks us. When we become effective for the Lord, he's out to get us. And Sam Robinson said, it's one of the most encouraging things about this church is that I see a Satan, Satan tacking here. I know God's working. And that's one way of looking at it. Well, Satan attacked our country and really the world in the early 1960s. In the 1960s, it was like the serpent's head itself rose up and, you know, bit the United States and bit Western culture and was after us all. And the hippie culture arrived that ended up leading to this idea of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And in the midst of all of that, a little ball-headed fat guy out in California began to take the hippies. Doreen's laughing because she was part of this. So was Randy. So was Marlene. We never heard of him in Texas. We were just, when we had a conversion, we started listening to Merle Haggard, okay, (laughs) or or Kenny Rogers, and we wore our cowboy boots, and we just kept doing what we had always done, but on the West Coast, it got crazy, and as crazy as these hippies had been for dope and everything else, they got on fire for Jesus. Time Magazine even wrote this thing, the Jesus Revolution, Jesus Freaks. And y'all may not believe this here in Texas, but Marlene back there, Will, and Doreen and Randy, because they were there. But thousands of kids were baptized in the Pacific Ocean. I don't know if this is on in Costa Mesa or not, but that's where this little heavyset guy named Chuck Smith started his ministry. And thousands and thousands of kids who had never really walked with the Lord, were coming to the Lord. And I think you guys were baptized on the same day in the same place and didn't know each other. So Doreen and Randy were at one of these deals. Were you baptized in the ocean? And she was. And so was Randy. Were you, Marlene? And well, okay. All right. They were baptized as Catholics when they were babies. But I I think when the Holy Spirit got a hold of you is when you dove into the Pacific Ocean. But it was amazing. And then it kind of seemed to jump from the West Coast over to the East Coast. And it skipped over Texas in the Midlands. I don't know why it did, but it did. I think Sandy said this morning, because we were always just good here anyway. She said, y'all were law-abiding, and, you know, we were doing crazy things like sneaking into, uh, what was the honky-tonk you used to go to? 
he would go into Gillies, and Cassandra was down there riding the mechanical bull. And I told y'all what was happening to me when I was 15. I came to the Lord in a real way. This is that Bible my mom gave me in 1972. I wanted to read out of it today, that Romans 5 passage, but I can't. I'm too old and I can't read it. And I've misplaced my glasses. And I just realized they're on my head. Okay? <laughs> That's part of being 65. I did not set that up. That's embarrassing. But anyway, my wife, it got over to the East Coast, and she was from a little farm in North Carolina, and Jesus got a hold of her, and she joined up with this group of people that were there in a Lutheran church that were on fire for the Holy Spirit, and they ended up, and that was their first record album. And there, there's Sandy up there in the top right. Oh, I'm sorry. She's at the bottom playing tambourine. Sorry. I, this is hard balancing all this stuff. And there she is singing on stage, and, and it was called Seeds in the Wind. And I'm not showing you all this to, just because it's my wife. It's just the only pictures I have of somebody who was singing back then, but she was part of what was called the Jesus Movement. She told me she used to go to these Jesus conferences. I never heard of a Jesus conference. Jesus festivals. You know, we were just, like I say, playing country music and doing what we had always done here in, in Texas, which I guess wasn't all bad. You know, Ken was back there. He was a cattle. Uh, he he was a cowboy back then, and I was just. Yeah, they were revivals, but they weren't like this. I never saw a place where three thousand people got baptized in the in the Gulf of Mexico. But we did. We had revival meetings. Cassandra's right. And then that's the second album they made. And there's Sandy next to the guy with the Panama hat. And when we got married, I was the only one there that didn't have hair down to my shoulders. It, it, it was just a different group of people. But the message that they had, and they were criticized by the establishment churches at the time because it says, these crazy kids, all they think they need is Jesus. And the kids were saying, Jesus is all we have. And you know what? That's exactly the same message that Paul is telling the church in Colossae. He's saying, Jesus is all that you have, and Jesus is all that you need. He is God alone. I, 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 that really touches me. As I heard those lyrics today, he's God in the troubles. He's God when Judy can't walk. He's God in my biopsy on Tuesday morning. He's God right now in where Julia is losing Danny. Uh, he is God alone, and he, he is there in the midst of all this. And we need to just do what he tells us to do today, and that's what I'm going to point to today. If you'll have your Bibles, please open them to Colossians chapter 2. Oh, I'm sorry. What is this? Oh, yeah. Go ahead and open to Colossians chapter 2. This is a review from last week. Don't get laughing too much, Heather. I know I'm making a fool of myself today. It's funny. Today in my prayer time, I said, Lord, I just want to pray like today's my last day. And the Lord said, you should pray. You you should preach every day like it's your last day. So that's what you're going to get today is my last sermon. Probably not. It's my last sermon for today. Okay. And we learned last week, looking at the end of chapter 8, don't Peggy, don't panic Peggy back there. He's going, oh my God, does he know something we don't know? At the end of chapter 1, he said, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, this is the end of chapter 1, where we were a couple of weeks ago, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For, listen to how he ended it, for this I toil, struggling with all of this energy, that the mark the powerfully work that powerfully works within me. He said, I'm struggling to present everyone mature in Christ. 
And that's why God's working so powerfully in me. And we came up with the idea last week, Barbara, because you guys were still hanging back. Real spiritual maturity meanings means learning to trust Jesus. That is spiritual maturity. It's not how many Bible verses you can recite, even though that's a good thing. It's not how long your prayer time is, but it's learning to trust Jesus. And Paul goes on and he says, for this is the thing that I toil. And the Greek word is agona, like agonizing. I'm agonizing. I'm striving. And I'm striving that you will be mature in the Lord, meaning you will learn to trust in Jesus. That is spiritual maturity. So now jumping over to Colossians chapter 2, we read, and he repeats it again, struggle. For I want you to know what a great struggle. I don't like that word conflict. It's a struggle. I have for you as those in Laodicea. He had never seen either of them. He says, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, three things, that their hearts may be encouraged, that they may be knit together in love, And three, that they may attain to all riches of the full assurance, not any doubt, but assurance of the understanding to the knowledge of the mysteries of God, both the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Guys, they're all in there. Then he says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh... Yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Lord, I just pray that you will get a hold of our spirits with this today. That, Lord, that we will learn today these three things. Lord, that we will learn how to encourage one another. We will be encouraged that we will leave this place knit together in one body in love. And thirdly, Lord, that we would learn riches of your grace that we've never seen before, that we've never seen in your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Paul talks about these three main goals, and I'm going to call them main goals for the church. First off, he says, I agonize, I struggle, I push on so that you would be encouraged. Guys, a lot of times I push on so that you'll be encouraged. And Paul was saying, I'm going through the suffering that I'm going through so that when you see my response, you'll be encouraged. Weren't we all encouraged when Doug faced death the way that he did and he played every week and he came with it and when he couldn't talk anymore, he just pointed up at the Lord. We were encouraged by that. I was. And then Paul is saying, I want you to be knit together in love. And we're going to have to talk about what it means to be knit together in love. And lastly, that they would achieve all the riches, really the riches of understanding y'all, grace alone. Because until you understand grace, you are on a hamster cage run. You're on a treadmill trying to be more holy, trying to be more righteous, figuring out how can I be closer to God? And yet he's right there within you and he just wants you to reach out and say, Lord, I submit myself to you today. Amen. So, and then he says, and I, and I pray that you would have those riches and the knowledge of God's mystery. Discouragement. He starts off in encouragement and discouragement. Dealing with discouragement. I'm saying here, be a fountain, not a drain. Because this is just the overall thing. Scott, you're a fountain. 
You're, you're a fountain. You're a good fountain. Others sometimes are drains. I love these words in, in courage. When I was a little boy, I, I learned French. And, and that's something that me and Tant Rita have in common. I speak a little French to her, and she smiles. Bonjour, madame. Aujourd'hui. And uh, I love it because it was my first exposure to another language. And in French, the word, what does cœur mean? Your heart, okay? It's your cœur. So when you're discouraged, your heart is taken out of you. Nothing seems right. Nothing seems matter. The, the wheels are off of the tracks. Your heart's gone out of you. When you're encouraged, your heart comes back in you. Y'all follow me? Isn't that a cool way just to understand those words? And so, as I said, cur means heart. Encourage is you put the heart in. Discourage means your heart is taken out. Encouraging is not just a gift, but I think it's a discipline. Some people just have a gift of encouragement. You meet them, you spend time with them, you just feel like, man, everything's going to be all right. It's all going to be okay. They're encouragers. An encourager sees the best in people. He sees people in the best version of themselves. I think it's a gift that God gave me a long time ago. When I see people, I see no matter how broken they are, how messed up, I just see, I don't know, it's like God lets me see the very best version of them. And then I kind of try to speak the words of the Lord, speak God's word into their lives to let that best version come out. Y'all have heard me many times pray before we ate on Wednesday saying, Lord, help us today. Let each of us help the other to be the best version of themselves. Because it's so easy to just discourage people, you know, and, 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 and there's this sickness that some folks have of talking down to others to somehow encourage themselves and to feel better about themselves. You know what that'll do? It just will make you feel bad about yourself doing that. Yeah, it's called a bully. Encouraging is not just a gift, but it's a discipline. Some of y'all are encouragers in here. You come up to me at the, in the foyer and you whisper words of encouragement. And the person that does this knows who I'm talking about, whispers in, in my ear. He kind of embarrassed himself a few weeks ago because he came up and said, you did a blank of a job. He told me, it bothered me all week that I cussed in your ear. You know what? I was encouraged by that. He said, you did a heck of a job. He just used his own ways to say that. Some of y'all send me an email later in the day and you go, man, I just loved what I heard. I just had to respond and tell you that. And I'm not here fishing for emails and texts and ear whispers. I like them, but I'm not fishing for them. And then some of y'all will take my hands at the front. And you go, man, what you said today spoke right to my heart. It is what I needed. Praise God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not my work. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Teaching focuses on the meaning and content of words, okay? I'm an okay teacher, but I want to be an encourager. An encourager, a good teacher says, this is the way that you ought to go, but an encourager says, I will help you get in that direction. I will help you go on that way. When I had a few texts there with, with Julia the other day, I knew she was going to be okay when she told me, Something like, God was so good, took Danny in his sleep. And I thought, Julia is all right. She's okay. And I spoke some word of encouragement to her. But we want to be like Barnabas. Do y'all remember Barnabas? Do y'all remember Barnabas when we studied Barnabas? 
So where do we first see the son of encouragement in the Bible? He was amongst all those Jesus freaks that were back in the book of Acts. I'm reading from Acts 4, 34. I have it up here for you to see. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now listen to this. But thus Joseph, Joseph is the real name for Barnabas. Did y'all remember that? Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He was from over in Cyprus, the island. Sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the disciples' feet. This is the problem I told you about the other day, Scott. You said, I never could figure out what Ananias and Sapphira did wrong. They saw Barnabas being praised by the other apostles. He had sold this field, and he gave the money to the apostles, then that's when Ananias and Sapphira said, well, look, what they're, I don't think Barnabas is that great of a guy. Hey, we're giving our field too, remember? That's where the sin came. They were envious. They were envious of Barnabas's relationship with the Lord, his commitment, and how others were encouraged by him. It's kind of sick, but that's in reality what happened. Barnabas stirred up good in others. And it says back there, So my question is, Barnabas was stirring up good. What are you stirring up? What do y'all think? What do y'all first think of when you say he's just stirring that stuff up? Is that, is that good? The way Faber laughed, that's not a good thing. All right. Paul found purpose in his suffering, knowing that his response would encourage others. He was saying that if suffering helps encourage others, he was okay with it. Listen to what another, the writer of Hebrews says. 24, verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's what we're to be stirring up in each other. I'm supposed to be stirring up in Pastor Larry, love and good works. He's supposed to be stirring that up in me, meaning motivating me to be that way, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. What is he talking about there? People that just decide to come to church when it's convenient. Do y'all know that to be obedient, we're told to not forsake coming together? That's not me stepping on your toes. That's God. I know that we have work obligations and things that we have to go through, but it should be a priority to us to come together, to do this, to be encouraged, and to give encouragement. You cannot believe how encouraged I get when I see you, Janie, come through the door. I know you've got complications and things go. You too, Juanito. I mean, it's not just her. You just don't say hallelujah as loud as she does. But I get encouraged. I get, got encouraged the other day, Crystal, when I saw you. I'm encouraged when I see y'all show up. It's kind of like, and not to sound crazy, it's, I feel like my kids have showed up. My people are with me. My brothers and sisters are with me. He says, let us consider In order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking assembling together, sorry, that was a sermon inside of the sermon, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Exhorting y'all means encouragement. It doesn't mean chewing people out. Someone, I said to someone one time, what do you think exhorting means? Oh, that means when you really tell people how the cow ate the cabbage. No, it isn't. It's not what it is. It's encouraging them, building them up to be the very best version of themselves. And so much more as you see 
the day approaching. So let's talk about some simple ways to encourage others. Does it really help if Scott is in the middle of a disastrous thing in his life, and I'm praise God you're not, Scott, if I just come and say, buddy, it's going to be okay, it's all going to work out, that, that, that's really kind of hollow. What encourages us is to help each other to put our eyes back on the Lord. Amen? When you're going down for the count and you're just thinking, what about me? It's to go back to God's Word. Friday night I was with a couple, that I, a couple of folks I love in here who have some things from a rough and rowdy past. And they were talking about how they do the worst damage to themselves talking to themselves. Okay, well, I'm going to say that all that talking's not just from them. It comes from the accuser. The Lord tells us there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is nothing from our past, really, that should ever have come up into our mind. All right? It's the present right now. What are you laughing about? If you're thinking all on your past all the time, you're in the wrong place. Amen? So we should encourage one another, helping the other to put their eyes back on the Lord. Or even better yet, the word encourager, that that Barnabas, that Barnabas, that novice part, means speaks God's truth. And I know you love this, Taunt Rita, because true encouragement is when you get with someone that's discouraged and you speak the truth of the word of God into them. Amen? Why is that? Because John 17, 17 says his word is truth. God's word is truth, guys. And so if you want to be an encourager, begin to learn little pieces of the word and breathe it and speak it into others' life in this fellowship. Then it might be praying with others. Uh, You used to kind of laugh at me because you said, man, you got to be careful where you ask favor to pray for you because he'll just grab your hand and start praying. Remember that? So I do that because you know why I do that? Because sometimes I'm a liar. I tell you, well, Crystal, I'll really be praying for you. And I don't ever do it. All right? I forget about it. Beryl is laughing. It's not that funny. But but if someone tells me now, will you just pray for me, Pastor? Just grab their head and start praying. Let's pray right now. One of y'all couldn't sleep this week and texted me the next morning and said, Pastor, I just couldn't sleep last night. I just prayed for you through the night. Man, how encouraged was I? Because maybe in that same night, I was up a little bit that two or three in the morning wondering how things could go and what would happen. And somebody was there bathing me in prayer because the Holy Spirit had laid me on their hearts. Then Paul goes on that second thing, he says, is that they would be knit together in love. It's going to hurt some of y'all when I talk about this one. When I think about being knitted together in love, I think about Psalm 139.13, and that's where it says... For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You were knitted together. I think of a body, a human body. And the body will not work right if the parts are not functioning and working together right. If your head's not talking to your heart or your head's not talking to your liver or all those different things, I'm now on two different deals wondering how I get back. There I am. The church, neither can it function if the parts and pieces don't work together. You've got to work with folks. Uh, you've got to work with him, and you've got to work with him. Now, the topic always comes up, but what if I don't like somebody in the church? Some of y'all ask me that. Y'all have come and said, oh, so-and-so, I just don't like so-and-so. And I'll tell, them, tell you back, oh, you know what? I don't think so-and-so thinks much of you either at all. 
We are not told to like each other or to like each other's behavior. We are told to love one another. Amen? If the pieces don't work together, then this thing doesn't work. How do all men know that you're his disciples by the fact that you like everybody? That you love one another. Love is a costly thing. Peter talks about it, okay? Peter says this, and above all, all things have a fervent love for one another. What is a fervent love? What does fervent mean? Actually, it comes from the underlying word, the etymology is burning. You have a burning love for one another. Do you have a burning love for me, Tim? I do for you. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Love covers up some stuff. It helps out. It's some of the ointment that takes the sting out of stuff. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Uh, How about a campfire? If you just get a fire going, I want to talk to my campers here. And you walk away from that fire. What happens to the fire? How do you keep the fire going, engineer? You got to put some more wood on. What is the wood that's required in a love relationship? It's three things, y'all. Time, talent, and treasure. That's the wood you keep pouring on, okay? Some of y'all will come to me and go, man, I just didn't realize when I volunteered to take him to Dallas, it would cost me $185 in gas. That comes under the treasure part, right? Sometimes, I won't say sometimes, all the time when you're loving people, it costs time, talent, and treasure. I learned late in my kid's life that my kid spelled L-O-V-E-T-I-M-E. I didn't realize that. I was cruising in and out of their life, and I was busy and blowing and going. It's time. And love costs. That is the fuel that we put on the love fire. It's, it's time, talent, and treasure. Here's one that's going to shock some of y'all. There is no room for grudges, Peter's saying, in the heart of a believer. You know what happens when you carry a grudge? No. You know, they don't even care about you. They're not thinking about you. You're not enabling them. No, they've, they've rented a space in your brain, and they're not even paying for it, okay? You drag yourself down. If you're carrying a grudge, you're going to get a sore back, and you're going to carry that grudge into your, into your deathbed, and, and you're going to wake up because it doesn't keep you from being a Christian, and the Lord's going to go, why were you carrying that thing? You realize how heavy that was? It harms, it, it creates dysfunction, and, and Peter's saying, don't have anything to do with that. Get rid of grudges. You move on. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another. Why? You know what? It's selfish. When you're loving one another, he says, that your joy may be full. When you love others and they're not very lovable, your joy is going to be full. Your like tank might be empty, but your love tank's going to be filled. (laughs) Did you get that one, Devin? (laughs) Love tank. He said, that's my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. Love doesn't gossip. You don't come to folks and go, man, you just can't believe what they did to me. Or love protects. And I don't mean love just protects abuse. It does not, okay? Love exposes abuse so others don't get hurt, right? That's kind of a different, that's a different day and a different topic. Number three and last, Paul says this, that the church would reach all of the riches of 
And he goes on about it, assurances and so on and so forth. Did you know there's a lot of Christians that know that the Lord saved them, but they think that they have to keep that salvation going by their works? There are. They believe that I was saved by grace, but now I've got to get myself on the treadmill of life, and I've got to somehow keep earning my salvation. Some of y'all have come to me in the past in this room and said, Pastor, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. And I said, well, just agree with the Lord that what you've been doing is wrong and start living right. Okay, that's the rededication. There's no big event, okay? It's just saying, Lord, that's 1 John 1, 9. That's what it's all about. It says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What that's really saying is, if you confess your sins, if you agree with God, Lord, what I've been doing is wrong. It's already forgiven. You can thank the Lord. Lord, you forgave me. And you're back in sweet fellowship. You've got a problem. You've separated yourself. It's a mechanism to bring yourself closer. God never moves from us, right? But we move away from him. So, It's the Holy Spirit alone. That's part of this riches. It's the Holy Spirit alone that will do the work to clean you up. Don't wait till you're cleaned up to come to church because you probably never come. Or if you get here, you're really not cleaned up. You're just done it all yourself. And think because you don't, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do, do, that somehow you're worthy. That's not what made you worthy. It was the blood of Jesus when he got on the cross for you and me. Now I want to end with something that sometimes Baptists are criticized about. We Baptists, I'm a Baptist now, I wasn't always a Baptist. We believe that once you're saved, once you're truly saved, you're always saved. And people come to me and it's funny that they'll want to pick on that of all the stuff that I believe. I believe that because that's what the Bible says. It says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, and Paul is saying that neither life, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not even your own behavior. It won't. Okay? You're going to die and go to heaven, but you're going to live a hellish life maybe while you're here because of bad decisions. Do y'all follow me? So Paul is saying, these are the things that I desire so much for this little church. He's saying, I'm desiring that you'll learn to encourage each other. And maybe we've, we've learned today about encouragement. Encouragement is speaking God's truth into others, encouraging others in the Lord. That's the only kind of encouragement that really helps in the long run. It does encourage you if I say, man, you play that bluegrass song well. But I'm talking about the encouragement to overcome that massive discouragement that gets us and gets us down where we lose all hope. You know what I mean? And we've all been there, y'all. Everybody goes through that. That's part of the human condition. So when we lift each other up with God's word, speaking truth into one another, that's exactly where Paul wanted Colossae and Laodicea and it's where God wants us at the grove. Secondly, that we be knit together as one in love, okay? We're to be knit together. We're not to like everybody in here. There's some personalities maybe that some of us just don't like, okay? Others that we do like. Uh, 
But that doesn't control the fact that we love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People talk about us at the Grove. I'm serious. Guy came here, and he may be listening to this podcast. He said, I haven't felt any love like that in 64 years. I don't think anybody said a word to him. It's just you can feel the submission to the Holy Spirit in this room. And that is why Satan throws all kinds of roadblocks at us. But we're going to keep on encouraging one another. We're going to trust God's word. We're going to claim the promises of God's word. And we are going to be knit together as one in this place. And lastly, understanding the riches of love and grace that are available to all believers. If, if this were my last sermon, and I do not believe it is, Peggy. If it were, I would say, guys, don't try to work your way to heaven because Jesus already did it on the cross. He paid for it, and when you received him, you got it all. You got the deposit of the Holy Spirit, and you got the promise that he that began a good work in you would complete it to the end. Amen? So that's what God desired for Colossae, for Laodicea, and it's what he deserves for the grove.